podcast provides our listeners with an opportunity to learn more about the Mount, our alumni, and how we live significantly. We're very excited for what is coming up next for Live Significantly and can't wait to offer you an inside look into the Mount. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce President Tim Trainer. Hello, and welcome to the Mount St. Mary's University podcast, Live Significantly with President Tim Trainer. This is Tim, and I'm very pleased to serve as the president of the university. On this episode, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome Gracelyn McDermott, class of 1993, to, the, to this podcast. Gracelyn is a senior healthcare executive with over 15 years of operational and project man- management experience in leading teams, client relationships, and overseeing programs. In 2020, she was elected to serve as the chair of the Mount St. Mary's University Board of Trustees, and more recently, elected as chair of the Board of Directors of the Maryland Chamber of Commerce. Graceland, welcome. Would you mind telling us, uh, our audience, about yourself and your education? I don't mind at all, Tim. Thank you for having me here. Uh, First off, I'll say I am a proud daughter of the Mount. I graduated from Mount St. Mary's in 1993 with a dual degree in international studies in Spanish. And right now, I am serving as a the Vice President for Marketing, Sales, and Business Development at Kaiser Permanente, where I am in charge of retention and growth and serving over 189,000 members in Maryland, D.C., and Virginia. Wow. (laughs) Graceland, can you tell us what you learned from the Mount that helped prepare you for furthering your education at Johns Hopkins and Harvard Schools, Harvard's School of Business? And and can you uh, cite what the Mount did differently or does differently? Yeah, you could tell by the fact that I've I've gone further, graduated from Mount St. Mary's, and yes, I got my MBA uh, from Johns Hopkins University, and then most recently uh, got a graduate in, uh, from uh, uh, Harvard University in leadership management. And I'd say the Mount definitely was part of that foundational element in uh, helping us to understand that that learning is lifelong. And it's something that it doesn't stop once you graduate and and end it. I think I had a a fairly unique experience in that I was part of uh, the George Henry Miles Honor Society. So I went through the core curriculum with a cohort of students um, that was designed in order in a specific way and really around the the element of, of helping us think. And when, when people ask me the question that you asked, what did you learn in the Mount? And I said, well, first and foremost, I learned how to think. And, um, you know, when you have that thinking capability, when you have that curiosity, that helps you further your education, as you could see with my MBA and um, even in the leadership for the Harvard Business School. Well, that's wonderful, Graceland. And I often uh, talk about the core curriculum. Mount's core curriculum is preparing student or, or helping students learn how to think. So you can use that later. And it also sets the foundation for uh, lifelong learning, as you said, and you've you've lived that out and you demonstrate that. So let's transition then. Now, how did how did you see the Mount help uh, prepare you for your career in, in business and how what kind of advice would you give to our uh, current students in the business programs? Right. You know, people, I always joke and say, you know, well, I wasn't a business major to begin with. I majored in international studies in Spanish. My intent when I originally came to the Mount was to major in business. Um, And unfortunately, when I was taking my uh, business courses, uh, I was kind of bored. 
I was falling asleep in accounting. I was falling asleep in uh, business law and, and uh, some of the other uh, economics, I think it was. And I just really didn't enjoy it. And it was my roommate that said, well, you know, you can't possibly be falling asleep in all of your classes. Why don't you just change your major? And that's how I ended up majoring in international studies in Spanish. And then I, um, you know, my goal when I came to Mount St. Mary's was to get a degree. It wasn't really even to think about, uh, you know, what college I was going to or even what career I was going to go into. So when I got to the point where it was time to graduate from the Mount, you know, I went and got some advice on, on where I should go, what I should do. And um, through very, very good professors here at the Mount, advisors, and even the provost, who I had a strong relationship, gave me advice, um, obviously, linked to higher education. And I actually got into um, University of Pennsylvania in a PhD program for higher education. I went and once again was hit with that left Borden. So that's anything I know about myself is I can't be bored. Uh, so that really quickly realized that that wasn't for me. And, and I owe that, I think, to the Mount where uh, often what we do in our courses is really a self-assessment and really have you thinking about, you know, what I, I think back to, to the, the course in, in philosophy where we talk about Aristotle and um, we spend a lot of time talking about what is happiness. And I, I still remember, you know, happiness is a virtue and it's that, that character of virtue that you get to. And when I was grappling with, do I continue in this PhD program or do I, do I quit and give up? Um, you know, I said, you know, but you got to be happy. And if you're not happy, then this isn't going to work out for you in the long run. So I did leave that and found myself um, stumbling around for a little while, not knowing what to do. Um, and eventually ended up starting at the bottom and saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a receptionist. I'm going to answer phones and I'm going to answer the phones to the best of my ability. And I did that. And someone saw some things in me that I did and kept giving me additional responsibilities. And that started um, my growth tra 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 trajectory. But really, fundamentally, it's, you know, being grounded in myself and knowing what works for me and what environment that I could succeed in and eventually realize I, I, I do, I like this business thing. Um, I want to learn more about it and, and ended up uh, in graduate school in the MBA program. Wow, that's super, uh, Grayson. And, and uh, let's go ahead and take a quick break and we'll be right back. At Mount St. Mary's, the extraordinary experience we have here will create careers and lives that matter out there. Because from the minute we arrive and for every moment that follows, we live significantly. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Graceland McDermott, uh, class of 1993 and chair of, chair of our board of trustees. Graceland, I'd like to talk about your pro professional career for a moment. Can you please share with us how you worked your way to vice president of marketing, sales, and business development in Kaiser Permanent? Permanente, and did your previous job experience help you get there? Absolutely. Um, as I just mentioned, I started out as a receptionist. Um, I was working for a niche entertainment company that really did some design work and experience work for zoos, museums, and aquarium. And uh, that's when I realized uh, that I really enjoyed project management work. 
and stumbled. So I was one of those accidental project managers, and my bosses recognized that that I had this knack for organization, and so they allowed me to to manage a few projects, and I started doing that. And then um, while I was there, uh, they I think within six to nine months, I was office manager from receptionist to office manager, and then I moved into the project management role. Um, and while I was there, I started the the master's in business administration. And just when I was getting to the end of my MBA program, I realized that um, you know I was at my limit at that particular organization. And if I wanted to take advantage of the things that I was learning in, in, in school, that I had to leave and, 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 and find a new job. And that was probably one of the hardest things I had to do is to go back and tell my bosses that I, uh, I was leaving them. Um, and they, they said, after all the tears and the crying, said, okay, we only have one thing that you should do is, is you replace yourself. Um, and so I had to hire somebody to replace me, which uh, not necessarily the easiest thing to do. But anyway, I found uh, my job in project management. So now I've decided on my career is project management. And I uh, landed a position as a program manager for a, a telecommunications company. Uh, helped uh, this company helped broad uh, wire broadband to commercial build business. Now you can go into a hotel and you're automatically wireless co- wireless wirelessly connected. That wasn't the case back then. You know, uh, you could go into a hotel and they didn't even have the connected the wire connection so that you could get on the internet. Some of the company that I work for um, uh, allowed for that to happen. Uh, and then the internet bubble burst. And myself and 800 of my closest friends and colleagues were suddenly, within the space of 24 hours, out of jobs. And I had started, I got into that later. Um, this is about the time where you know AOL um, had started, UUNet, all of the telecommunications companies. And the receptionists at those times, they were driving Lamborghinis and, and making a lot of money because it was really lucrative. I got in late, so I didn't ever get to have a, a Lamborghini there. Um, but I realized that uh, I was going to be competing uh, with people who had been in the industry much longer than I had to look for jobs that were already scarce. But what I did know is project management is transferable. And again, you know, to bring it back to the mount, one of the things that the foundation of the mountain is all about those transferable skills, right? And so I had that element of, of a transferable skill in project management. So I decided to shift industries, stuck with project management, but moved into the contract research space. So ended up working as a, a project management project manager for a a they call it contract research organization, but they're really companies that pharmaceutical companies outsource research to because they can do it faster and and more efficient. And so I, uh, in my division and the organization, primarily focused on early phase drug development trials. So you can imagine with all the vaccine work that's been done, I get excited because I feel like it takes me back to my roots uh, of drug development. But similar situation happened there where I got hired as a project manager. And then about eight months later, my boss said, why don't you lead the department? And that was my first managerial um, experience that I had. And I didn't have a huge staff. It was a staff of about two people, but they put me in charge. And then we had an acquisition, and more people came. And then another acquisition, and more people came. And eventually, um, I ended up leading a project management department or a program management office, I would say, because that's what I built it into, uh, that had people in Europe, 
had people in California, had people in Texas and Maryland, really large organization, and even um, had outsourced to India a, a lot of the work that we were doing. And one day, my boss came to me and said, you know, we need somebody to head up our business development function. And we've been searching, and we can't find the right person. And I thought, maybe this is something that you could do. And I looked at him, I said, I don't know anything about selling. He says, yeah, but you know the business. And, and for what we do, it's more important that you know the business than you know how to sell, because you have people that will report to you that, that know the ins and outs of, of what makes the sale and how to close and open and those types of things. So I did. I said, okay, sure, I'll take on the role. And I um, was great at the beginning, uh, blew through our target numbers. Everything was wonderful. And then the recession hit. And this is where the housing bubble burst and suddenly uh, where he went into layoff mode and all of the things that we had built in the organization suddenly had to be pulled apart. And traditionally, when it came to research, uh, when pharmaceutical companies go into a recession or there's a downturn, they tended to lay off their sales associates, their sales team. Um, The research money usually stayed intact. This time around... They maintained their sales team because there were a few drugs that were going off patent that they really needed to get out there. And they insource their resource research teams. So that meant our contract research organization either had to figure out a way to do things more efficiently um, or, 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 you know, go out of business, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, long story short, uh, my boss tapped me in to create a more efficient process. So I moved back out of sales, back into operations, and really redone, restructured uh, the organization to to deliver our our research studies a little bit more efficiently. And I will tell you, I sold more business as the VP of scientific services than I did as the VP of marketing sales and business development, believe it or not. It's interesting, but yes. Wow. So then I, I had a, you know a, a moment where my the the president of our organization announced that he was going to retire, and I knew that I was going to have a new boss. There were three people in the succession plan, all of my colleagues, and um, I wasn't exactly sure if I wanted to to have them be become my boss. Not that we got along great, but I said, well, now's my opportunity. Let me see what else is out there. I'd been with the organization for ten years at this point. And I said, maybe it's time for something new. And, and maybe I don't, I don't want to be in charge anymore. I just want to be an individual contributor. You know, I want to relax, enjoy my life, and just, just have a bit of fun. So I ended up, I stuck with project management. I stuck with clinical research, but I did it for um, government uh, entities. So I took a, a, a job with a, a small government contracting uh, company, they still did clinical research, but they did it on behalf of the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, NIH. Um, and I thought that was going to be exciting. Um, and, and to a certain extent, it was. But literally, the day I took the job, the, the COO hired me into the position. And I was just a senior program management, individual contributor. The day I, ha- I got hired, the, um, the, the president CEO of the organization called me into his office to let me know that the chief operation officer had resigned. So suddenly, my little individual contributor job (laughs) 
wasn't that anymore, literally the first day. Um, and so I took on some leadership responsibilities uh, for for pretty much every single project that the, the organization had. And there were some cleanup things that I had to do, went through that. And um, again, it was it was a lot of fun. I, I, I learned about the coins uh, that the, the military yeah. gives out. It was just work with wonderful commanders and really hardworking people um, in the military organizations. But I just didn't like how government contracting was was structured. You know, I I grew up in uh, learning um, project management. You know, dealing with the triple constraints: time, quality, and and dollars. And in in this environment, you know, if I saved money, that's supposed to be a good thing. You know, if you could deliver a high quality uh, uh, product on time and saved money, that's a that's a gold star. Well, not in government contracting. In government contracting, you have to spend the money. And whether or not you needed to spend it wasn't really that important. And uh, so I got uh, called by the the procurement officer and said he was going to give me a poor grade because I had left money on the table. And that that didn't resonate with me at all. I said, no, this is not something that I can continue to do, especially taxpayer dollars being spent like this. So, um, And I'm sure they don't do that anymore. But um, so I decided to leave and I joined a, a toxicology company uh, building. I love to build things. So this was an opportunity for me to build a new department. Um, I had 18 months to build it. I did it in 12 months. Uh, so very, very excited and happy about that. And it was trying to think, okay, what's my next project? What do I do now? And I got a call from an individual I used to work with at the government contracting company saying, you know, hey, I, I know you've, you've got another job, but um, we're, we're starting a project management office here um, at uh, this organization. He worked for a, a accrediting organization called URAC in, in D.C. And he said, we need somebody to help stand up a project management office, and I, I want to pick your brain on how we might go about doing that. So I went down there to talk to him about a structure of a project management office, but um, clearly he forgot to tell me that it was an interview. And the CEO was there. He was the COO at the time. The head of HR was there. And they were asking me all these questions. And I said, you know, why am I here? And they said, because we want you to come work for us. And I said, okay, but, but what's the job? They said, well, don't worry about that. We just we want good people. We're looking for the, the, the right people on the bus. And uh, you, you, we, Bill speaks highly of you, and, and, and we want you here. They said, well, that's really good, but I kind of need to know what the job is before I make a decision. So they said, send me your resume. They didn't even have my resume. I sent them my resume, and about a week later, they sent me the position description. And I about fell off my chair because they literally took my resume and created a job description from it. <laughs> so you want me to do everything that I've done before, which is fine. So I ended up, uh, and so you'll see there's a pattern here. Um, I ended up, went in uh, with the goal to stand up the, the program management office. And about, a, might even not have been a full year, but at least a year, um, suddenly I'm the vice president of a, a accreditation and client services. So now I'm in charge of all of their accreditation um, programs within within the organization, um, which was a lot of fun, a lot of things doing. And I got a call uh, from a recruiter about two years later um, uh, telling me about this position that was open. And they were looking for somebody who was non-traditional, somebody who could think out of the box, somebody who was a builder um, that could take things to the next level. 
and um, and then they thought that I would be a good candidate, and they wanted me to, to put my name in the hat. I had a job. I was good. I was happy. I had no reason to, to, to jump ship. So I said, no, I'm not interested. And unfortunately, the person had note, uh, that put my name as a recommendation called me up and said, we're not letting you do this. You have to at least go talk to them. You can't, you can't say no to something without at least exploring and, and uh, you know, kind of figuring out what you're saying no to. So I said, okay, I'll go to one interview. And I went to, the, I didn't even tell my husband I was going on a job interview until that morning when I realized, what if I got into an accident and I'm not where I'm supposed to be? I probably should let him know I'm going somewhere different than, than, than uh, DC because I interviewed in Virginia. And um, long story short, it was Kaiser Permanente. And um, the, the position was a director, executive director for account management. And, um, you know, I, I interviewed with the head of sales, the uh, marketing sales and business development. He was very good at selling, and um, he got me to join the organization. And uh, I did uh, that for five years as the, the head of uh, account management. And then just past January, I am in the position of the individual that hired me. So that was a long way, but <laughs> it's a remarkable, remarkable and uh, distinguished career path, uh, Graceland. So thanks for sharing that with us. But I also know you've uh, you spent a lot of time, and I've seen you do it um, in mentoring those behind um, coming up through the ranks, so to speak. And you've specifically you cur- you're currently a founding member of Chief, uh, which is a private network dis- uh, designed specifically for women leaders. Can you tell us something about uh, some more about Chief, please? Yes, uh, Chief has been around for a while um, in New York, in San Francisco, and I believe Chicago, but don't quote me on that. Um, and it was designed specifically for women in leadership positions. So you have to be a vice president uh, or above to be part of this organization. And um, they interview you, they, they, they make the determination, and it's really, a, a, it's part networking, and part mentorship, as, as, as you um, alluded to, but at a more at a higher level. And the idea behind it is to empower women and, and keep them in those high-level positions. I'm, I'm sure you're aware that when uh, you look at uh, board, um, uh, div- uh, board development and uh, CEOs in Fortune 500 organization, there is a lack of women leadership. And we also know that the data shows when you have women in leadership positions, uh, they tend to be, uh, the, those companies that they lead tend to be more productive. They tend to be more profitable. Um, and, you know, when they went through and, and talked, well, what it, what's happening? Why aren't more women getting to these levels? It was really because of, of number one, exposure played a part in it, but also having that, that group of that think think and that that group of people to guide you and mentorship mentor you and, and pull you along and that's what chief is all about is about guiding women pulling them along and and giving us a safe space to really lean on each other and help each other 
as we go and continue up on, on our, our leadership journey. Uh, they, when you join, you get part to be part of a core group. And I had uh, my first core group meeting last month, and uh, the women are phenomenal. Um, they come from various industries. I'm in, in health insurance, for example, but we got somebody in sports management. We've got somebody in, in uh, cyber technology. Uh, all women leaders, and their stories are, are phenomenal. So I'm very proud of it. And the goal um, and intent of, of every one of my uh, core group has said we want to take what we have, reach back down, and pull more women back up. And that's that's wonderful, Gracelyn. And I, I again, I've seen you do this, and and you're awesome at it. And you're also uh, awesome as a leader, as demonstrated here, as uh, now our chair of the Mount St. Mary's University Board of Trustees. And I got to tell you, folks, she's a great boss to work for. <laughs> can you can you tell us about your journey that led you to being the the chair of the board? Yeah, I always joke and and say, you know, um, the worst thing that my mother ever allowed me to do is, was to have books because I, I read a lot and that's one of the things I love to do. So when, when people ask me, well, what, what started something? I read, it usually starts with, well, I read somewhere. Um, and, and I did. I read somewhere um, about the lack of, of, of leadership uh, when it, uh, uh, women representation on boards. Um, and I said, you know, why is that? And and, and how does somebody get on a board in the first place? So the, the curiosity and questions. And I said, well, let me ask somebody who's, who's led a board, um, who's been involved with boards that, that can tell me um, all about it. So I called Jack Campbell, who is the former provost of Mount St. Mary's uh, College. And I said, Jack, I have a question for you. I just, you know, when you were provost, you, had, you went to board meetings and he, he had served as the interim president at some time. And I said, can you... How, how does how do you pick your board members? How does that happen? And Jack being Jack said, well, you don't want me to tell you. Why don't I introduce you to the chairman of the board? He'll talk to you all about it. So I had dinner with the chairman of the board and, and had a really, really um, good conversation. And he said, well, you know, if you really want to understand board level type things, there is a group um, uh, that you could start kind of be part of and there's this president's council and why don't you be part of the president's council and and that'll kind of get you a feel for some of the things that the the board um talks about so i said sure I'll, i'll i'll be on the president's council and i did that and then one day i got tapped on the shoulder and um the president uh tom powell said um it's time and i said time for what he said you're coming up to the big leads we want you on the board and, and that's how I ended up on, on, on the board. And as is, seems to be the theme of my life, I suddenly became secretary. And then the next thing you know, I'm vice chair, and, and here I am as, as chair. So uh, responsibility seems to find me. Well, I'm, I, I, for one, am thankful for that. And responsibility fi- finds those who are ready to lead and serve and willing to take on that responsibility. So thank you. Um, You're welcome. I also know you you now serve as chair of the Maryland Chamber of Commerce. Uh, can you tell us how long you've been in, involved with the chamber and um, and how did you get to that role? Yeah, Kaiser Permanente is um, very active in the community. 
and um, part of that is uh, being a membership of a, var- a variety of chambers. And when I joined Kaiser Permanente, there was new leadership at the Maryland Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Christine Ross had just taken on the the, the, um, the president's uh, CEO position, so she was going around um, and having listening sessions with the various members of uh, the Chamber of Commerce, um, particularly uh, the board members. And uh, she stopped by, and, and my boss said, you know, Graceland, you go talk to her. And I'm like, I just, I haven't even been with the organization that long, but sure, I'll, I'll, I'll go talk to her. And we really hit it off, had a really good conversation. And, and Christine said, you know, I, I want you to represent Kaiser on the board. And I said, well, what, is, what, what do I have to do? And, of course, they always talk, you know, people ask you to be on the board. They always tell you, oh, not much. Don't worry about it. It's a really easy job. You just show up to a couple of meetings. No big deal. So I said, okay. And um, quickly got involved in, in, in it. And um, next thing you know, I got a call from, and I was, I've been in the chamber as long as I've been at Kaiser Permanente. So a little, about five and a half years at this point. Um, and um, the, the then chair, Nate Beal, called me on the phone and said, um, we want you to on this executive team. And I said, well, I don't want to be on the executive team. And they said, no, let, let me tell you why. And, and he laid out, um, you know, a good, good rationale reason of, of why they wanted me. And then, then, he, then he laid it thick and he said, well, bottom line is we think we need you. <laughs> Which is the, that's the closing, you know, every, we all want to be needed, right? We think we need you. So I said, okay, but I can change my mind if this doesn't work out. And he said, sure, sure. So I joined um, uh, as the treasurer of the, the Maryland Chamber and then moved up to the vice chair and now uh, recently I'm serving as the chair. Uh, excellent com- companies. Uh, I work alongside um, companies like Baltimore Gas and Electric, um, AT&T, really good uh, opportunity to network and grow. And these group of leaders that are in here, I, I can't speak. Um, I have nothing but good things to say about them. But most importantly, being able to advocate on behalf of businesses. Uh, oftentimes you have career um, legislative individuals that, you know, they, they do their best to connect to the community, but it really, the, there's a collective voice that's needed so that they truly understand what's driving businesses and things when you talk about taxes, healthcare, um, job development, workforce development, all things that they need the input from the business community. So the Maryland Chamber can be in a convener of sorts to kind of help bridge that gap and, and, and really improve um, uh, legislation as they come out. Super. Uh, Grayson, you described your job experiences previously. Can you tell us what key lessons you may have learned from your different job experiences that you carry forward today? Well, I'd say the the, the biggest thing is um, self-awareness. And in any given situation, being aware of your capabilities, what you can do, and what you can't do. Um, and, and, and if you know what you can do, you can hone your skills and, and focus on, on those um, for pr- improvement and, and, and uh, meeting your goals. But when you know what you can't do, uh, that helps you identify the gaps and resources um, and, and who you need to tap into uh, and recognizing that, that you can't do everything 
the, the, the thing about leadership, and I think one of the reasons why uh, I've, I've gravitated to it and people see it in me because I know it's never just me. It's always, I've always had a great team around me and really allowing my team to shine and do what they do best. And anybody who ever espouses to leadership has to recognize and be self-aware so that they can really allow their team to just do, to be the best. Let's take a final break and we'll be back to wrap up this edition of Live Significantly. The team behind our team is our dedicated Mount fans. Please visit mountathletics.com to check the schedules of your favorite teams and to learn more about our great student athletes. Go Mount! Go Mount indeed. Welcome back, everyone. Graceland, you've done a lot over the course of your education and career. Can you tell us what has inspired you to live such a life of significance? Wow, that's always a, a big question and, you know, probably could fill 350 pages in a book. <laughs> um, but uh, if I had to put my nail on the one thing um, that, that inspires me to live my life significantly, I'd have to say Stella. And Stella's my mom. <laughs> And I, I am Stella's baby. Um, I, uh, I was born in Barbados. Um, I am the youngest of seven kids. And um, my mom tells a, a wonderful story of uh, coming to the United States. My dad came first, lived here for about a year. And then my mom came and left all of our, uh, the kids with my aunt to take care of us until she could get visas and, and, and bring us all. And, and she tells the story of how um, she was determined that everybody was coming at once. When she went to the, the immigration representatives, they said, you know, that's, that's seven kids, that's a lot. You know, you gotta, you gotta bring them maybe one at a time, two at a time, and she said, no, they're a package deal. They have to all come together. And, and she fought and she fought, and, and, and she didn't necessarily win, but it wasn't because of her. It was because my older sister uh, got pregnant and so wasn't able to, to, to travel with the baby. So my, my older brother stayed back with my, my older sister and they came later, but, but five of us, she got five of us on a plane to the United States all, to, all together. And um, that might not, not seem like a significant thing, um, but you know, I, was, I was two and a half. Um, my oldest brother was, was probably 15, 16. So, you know, that's, that's a lot <laughs> to, to bring a family together. And, um, and we, we were a unit. Uh, my mother worked at, at, at one point, I think she had three jobs. She definitely had two um, ongoing, but in, at one point, I think she had three uh, to, to keep food on the table, to make sure that we had uh, clothes on our backs and and the, the great thing about me, I always, you know, when we talk about the, the idea of privilege, and usually when you talk about privilege, you think, okay, the black, white type thing. When I think about privilege, I think about me in comparison to my older brothers and sisters. Because, um, you know, my mom, like I said, worked full time, worked several jobs. Um, and so she wasn't necessarily there 100% of the time. But I always had older brothers and sisters, and and you know Stella always signed my permission slips, but it was never her signing them. It was always my older sister or my older brother or something like that. Um, but and 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 my mom 
taught us to take care of each other. And as a child, if I got in trouble or if I did something wrong, I didn't get in trouble. That's my privilege. I, I was the spoiled brat, as my sister likes to say. They would get in trouble because they were in charge of me and they were supposed to watch me and they were supposed to keep me on, on the line. So all of that to say is, number one, inspired by my mother, but really want to live a life of significance to make my siblings proud so that they know I appreciate what they did to, for me and in, in helping me um, succeed. Well, moms are great. And it sounds like your mom, Stella, is, is, a, is an example of living a life of significance we all can learn from. Uh, you know, and, and taking maybe along that way, it ties into this, Grayson. Uh, is there, can you point to one, maybe the biggest life lesson you learned, maybe an experience you had or advice uh, someone has given you? Yeah, I'll go back. I, I mentioned to you that um, I was... Uh, Vice President of uh, Marketing and Business Development for the, the Contract Research Organization and the recession, the, the housing bubble burst. And um, you know, it was a really tough time. I didn't make my numbers. And I usually, when I set a goal, I usually reached my goals and it was tough um, not making those numbers and not making that goal. Um, and, and, and our targets didn't change. You know, many companies, when that happened, they reset the sales targets, they reset the sales goals. Our organization chose not to. Um, and, and it was really, really hard, um, especially when we had this huge, huge um, account that if we had landed that account, not only would I have met my goals for that year, I would have met my goals for the next five years and really worked phenomenally hard, pulled the teams together, put together the best proposal we ever could in that organization, got to the final, flew to Sweden um, to be able to do the, the defense of it, and um, we were really sitting good. And then two days before they were going to announce the award, um, we had a logistical technicality in that um, the capacity that we thought uh, to deliver that project, we no longer had the capacity. And uh, had to disclose that because it was the right thing to do. And um, the, the criteria for the award was based on capacity. So we didn't get it. And that was absolutely, utterly devastating to me. Um, and uh, so when my boss called me into his office, I uh, will, will admit I, I had a, a, a cry fest. <laughs> just bawling my eyes out and uh, just and, and, and he was a, an older German man and uh, I don't know he didn't know what to do with my tears I don't think um, and anyway he said you know we're gonna we're gonna end this meeting and at the end of the meeting I left and then the next day he called me back into his office and that's when I was informed that um, I was going to take on this this other position, uh, vice president uh, scientific services, and he would find somebody else to lead uh, sales and business development. So I left his office crying again because I just lost my job, and I, I called um, an executive coach. Uh, she was a very good person, and I'm crying. And I immediately said to her, "I said, Nicolette, I've lost my job." And she said, um, "She said, no, 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 no. She says, it's just." Tell me what happened. And when you tell me what happened, just stick to the facts. Tell me what he said. Tell me what's going on. Just just walk me through the whole thing. And so I did. And at the end, she's laughing. And I go, well, what? She goes, 
you've been lying to yourself. And I go, what are you talking about? She goes, well, here's what I heard. What I heard was you had a leader that recognized an asset that he had in the organization and recognized that if he allowed you to continue down the path you were going, that you were going to leave the organization. You also had a leader who recognized your strengths and knew that the only way for this organization to get out from underneath what they needed to do was to fix operations. And he put you in charge of that. You didn't lose your job. She says, and by the way, how many people are in this new role? I said, well, it's a lot bigger. She goes, you got a bigger job. (laughs) (laughs) And so that lesson, um, you know, from then that day forward, whenever negative things happen or, or I get into a jam, I stop, I pause, and I ask myself, is what you're saying true? And if so, what do we need to do about it? And if not, what is true? That is, uh, I need to do that. (laughs) I'll just say. So Grayson, as our final question, I'd just like to ask if you have any additional advice or words of wisdom for our uh, listeners and students before we sign off. Yeah, I think um, one of the things, if we're reflecting on on my story and and some of the things I've I've just said, um, this wasn't a linear path. Uh, I didn't come to Mount St. Mary's and and say, I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a scientist. I, I came to get an education. And I loved every moment of learning. Um, and, and that's what the mound is all about. It's that learning experience, um, that, that level of curiosity that I brought to the table and I never let go of. And, and by having that and embracing the learning in and of itself, I was able to take and, and, and adapt to many different situations and still come out on top and still come out as a leader. You know, when I said, I don't know anything about insurance, I mean, I was in charge of people who had been in the insurance industry for years. I think one of my employees had been in the industry for 35 years, suddenly had to report to me. I didn't have my license yet. So um, I, if I didn't embrace learning and recognize that, I wouldn't have been able to exceed because I'd have gotten in my head and wouldn't have been able to lead them. And I immediately said, well, what do I know? What's true? <laughs> Going back to that. And, um, you know, would meet with the team and say, I'm not going to try to teach you insurance. You're going to teach me. You're going to help me learn. But here's what I can share with you. Here's what I can teach you. And um, that's, that's if the feel-good moment, and, and at least personally for me and many people that I talk to, um, when we get back to that happiness of, of, of how you feel happy, is being able to to share of yourself, whether it's through teaching, whether it's through joy, um, that's that's the ultimate thing. So, you know, if you're a student here, if you're a professor, if you're an administrator, just revel in the joy of learning, and then recognize that that the ultimate goal is to share that with with others. I may use that, 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 those lines, uh, Graceland, that's uh, prophetic. Uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. 
Thank you so much, Graceland, for taking the time to talk with us today about how you lead a life of significance through hard work, dedication, and leadership. Be sure to visit the Mount's website at msmary.edu slash podcasts to learn more about how others are living a life of significance. Thank you, and go Mount. Go Mount.